Welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders, and we specialize in helping leaders build the teams and the processes they need to grow their business. Joining me today is Howard Byrd. Howard is the world's fastest reader. He's listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for his ability to read more than 25,000 words a minute. That's about 80 pages per minute. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Howard's book, Super Reading Secrets, is in its 28th reprint. For the last 35 years, Howard's been teaching people how to increase their reading speed along with comprehension, but more importantly, how to develop a total learning solution in their life. Welcome, Howard. Hi, thanks for having me. Howard, we made a decision up front. We had an opportunity to meet probably about a month ago that we really are not going to have much in the form of a script to speak of. But when when we talked, I loved just kind of learning more about your story. You shared that you grew up in the projects of Brooklyn, and like most children, you wanted to go outside and play, but it wasn't safe. That no. The only place in your neighborhood that was safe was the library. And it was your frequent visits to the library that made you kind of what you are today, a knowledge mastery strategist. Yes, that's completely true. That being said, what I'd love to do while we're together is I'd like for our listeners to kind of be able to get some insights on how might they increase their ability to learn faster, comprehend better, and retain more. You've been doing this for 35 plus years. As I understand, you have appeared on over 2,000 TV shows, radio programs, podcasts. Now, people who can't see you, you just kind of rolled your eyes on that. (laughs) What have you learned after appearing 2,000 plus times that has helped you be better at what you do? Well, I listen to problems that people share with me because I'm trying to solve problems. So it really isn't about what's my problem, it's about what's your problem. It kind of falls into three categories. There's the children, people want their kids to get better educated, finish school, not live with them till they're 40, which is a common thing today. More children live with their parents between 26 and 40 than are married, mostly because they can't find good paying jobs. Mm. A lot of them have incredible college loans to pay back, can't afford to pay them and pay rent, which is exorbitantly high in many areas. Another group is professionals that are overwhelmed. They're inundated with data and things they have to know to be competitive in business. And then there's seniors that want to stay mentally fit as they're getting older and not turn into vegetables. So those are like the three primary groups that I hear about, they, they all have the same solution. The difference is children might read a non a fiction book or a bio book and business people read a spreadsheet and seniors might read a novel, but the reading, the learning, the memory, what you're doing with your brain is the same. It's just the goals and purposes and type of material that they process that varies from one group to another. But there's a definite overlap in those three strata that I described. 
of the three, we probably will spend most of our time with the, the middle one you mentioned, that is professionals. And that is, it just seems to me, as I have been thinking about our upcoming podcast, is that we're just inundated with information. It's coming to us from so many different sources, and it is really hard to even get a, come to terms with how to actually kind of do that. I suspect you hear that a lot. Well, information doubles every six months. Uh, more is printed in one week than in all human history through the year 1800. So if people feel like they're getting a lot to learn. They're, they're not wrong. And what works today will, might bury you tomorrow. I'll give a good example of that. The richest man in the world well, was the richest man where Bezos is the richest now. Elon Musk is second richest man in the world. It's hard to keep up with that. That's a good example. Of they they do flip flop back and forth. That's they right. They do flip flop back. This week it's, it's Elon Musk. So what is he really doing to make all his money? He's doing what J.C. Penny and Sears did in the late 1800s, early 1900s. As the West became settled, there weren't a lot of stores. They didn't have strip malls back in those days. So how did they get the things they needed? They used the Sear catalog, the J.C. Penny catalog. They used the railroads. They used Wells Fargo. And that's how they got the things they needed. Well, they're going bankrupt. And they no longer publish their catalog. What did Jeff Bezos do? He put it online. Mm -hmm. All Amazon is is a J.C. Penny catalog. Online, he brought it into the 21st century. Why did they do that? They had the infrastructure, they had the they had the sales funnels, they had the knowledge, they had the marketing skills, even had a catalog. They never put it online. They're going bankrupt. Bezos is second richest man in the world because he saw how to use an idea in a new way. That's what business is like. If you keep doing what worked yesterday, Blockbuster was incredibly successful at putting everyone out of business who sold DVDs till Netflix says we don't need a store. We'll put it through the mail. And then Redbox says we don't need the mail. We'll put it in a kiosk. But Netflix got smart. They don't really make money anymore from DVDs, do they? They use programming. Couldn't Blockbuster have done that? They had the, they had the market. They had the customer base. They never thought of it. They were locked into a paradigm that worked. A lot of people in business today are using a paradigm that works and it works well for them. Well, that's great. What about tomorrow? As artificial intelligence takes away more and more jobs, what are people going to do? 30% of all existing jobs will be gone in five, 10 years. Think of 5 million truck drivers replaced by robots. Why would they replace them? They don't sleep. They don't take vacation. They don't need sick days. They, they don't need any overtime. They can go 24 hours a day. If you own the trucking company, you want someone who can drive 10 hours or 24 hours. But there's a different problem. When these people stop working, what are they going to do for a living? Who's going to feed them? Where are they going to find housing without a job? And people who work in stores, as more and more checkout clerks get replaced by kiosks and waiters and waitresses. All the bottom level work that was the mainstay of hardworking Americans for decades, maybe pretty much over 100 years, are going to be gone. They're all going to be done by artificial intelligence. 
What are they going to do? Become neuroscientists? It's very unlikely. It seems people who want smaller government, well, that's the only thing that's going to feed you. There won't be any. So people who are going to be successful are people who can learn. The only job security you have in today's fast-changing information-based economy is between your ears. You're either learning new things quickly and faster and re-burnishing yourself, putting yourself into a new position, or you're being obsolete in the not-too-distant future. And that's very different than anything we've ever faced in the history of mankind. We went from the agricultural revolution of farming and domestication. Then about 200 years ago, we had the industrial revolution where they started with steam and and mostly with textiles. And then it went into electrical. And today the revolution is knowledge. The next one's going to be artificial intelligence. And what the hell are people going to do? When machines get smarter and smarter and smarter, the only people who are going to find work are people who are smart enough to keep ahead of the curve. And right now, that's not the majority of people. And my job is to empower them with skills that will give them that ability so they can stay marketable and employable. And everyone else will be looking around and say, what happened? I can't find a job. You make a very compelling argument why it's very important that everybody learn to adapt. Let's, in terms of our listeners, these are decision makers, these are leaders, these are folks who want to learn and grow, but they may not know how to go about doing that. In terms of how to strengthen what's between the ears, as you called that, you're an author. So obviously you are a strong proponent of getting information via books, but you develop a capability to read, not just fast, but to read and comprehend. Why might that skill be helpful to our listeners to cultivate? I'm I'm going to answer the question in two parts. Books are actually becoming obsolete. Mm -hmm. Books are like records. We're seeing more e-readers. Very, very few people are buying physical books. So I just did a new program this week on how to learn online using a Kindle, a phone, a laptop, an iPad, that's what people are reading. There are still people reading books, but the majority, most reading today is online. You talk to a college student, they don't have books. Everything is online. So there's a good example of, of an industry that's revolutionarily changing in a very, very short amount of time. Well, the answer to the other part of your question is we've learned more about the brain in the last 10 years than all of history. How much of it's percolated into the business place in terms of increasing productivity, understanding, creativity, innovation, which is desperately needed to stay competitive with countries where we're being outstripped in other ways. Labor is so much cheaper in many Asian countries. The reason people are losing jobs is because people here are giving the jobs away. It's just more profitable. You say, well, why don't they keep them here? Because they can't compete in a global market. If everyone else is using cheap labor and you're paying people $20, $30, $40 an hour here to do the same job, you, you can't produce products in a competitive way. So you have to lay people off and go to the cheap labor or become obsolete anyway. So these are real problems that people are facing. But the real answer is not to get obsolete, but to learn new skills. 
learn how to think faster, grow faster. Most people, when they want to make more money, they'll work more hours or they'll work more jobs. That's inefficient. You want to make more money, learn a new skill, it pays better. You make more money as a neurosurgeon than a dishwasher. Both people work. If you're digging trenches, say in the deserts of New Mexico in July, that's hard work. They don't make the same money as a neurosurgeon. And they, they're physically doing a whole lot more, but the knowledge that they have is much less. And so in today's world, it's really what you know and understand. Another thing that will make you successful is not marketing skills, business skills. What makes most businesses fail is not competency in the core business, but competency in business skills. So you'd have an outstanding plumber who's great at plumbing, but has no knowledge of how to get customers. Mm -hmm. You can have a mediocre plumber who's fantastic at sales and marketing, having an incredibly good year as he's building up his, his business because he knows how to get more and more people to buy his products. So one of my, one of my mentors in, in business was Dan Kennedy. We're good friends. I used to lecture with him and Zig Ziglar years ago. And he would say, you should always ask the question, uh, instead of saying I'm a doctor, it's I'm in the business of medicine. Or instead of saying I'm a bookkeeper, I'm in the business of, of bookkeeping. Because the first thing in business is business. And learning how to build the business, create new customers, innovate, create new services, create more revenue streams, diversify. That's what businesses need to be doing. If you're competent at what you do today, don't count on that working tomorrow. Just ask Blockbuster what happens when you're the best and someone else comes out with a new widget that works a little bit better. So yeah, ultimately it's your capacity to learn new things. Now, there's two things we learn from. We learn from reading, which may not be books. As I mentioned, it could be e-readers. And from the people, the people we, we associate with, the people we study with. That's where our learning comes from. And reading by itself is not learning. That's another misnomer. Was everyone reading a book would get an A? And that isn't what happens, is it? So what is it then? And I can tell you what I'm doing differently. I use reading to find what I don't know and need to learn. I don't want to know everything. I want to know everything I need to know. I don't want to waste time learning things I know already or things that I don't need, which wastes even more time. So knowing what your goal and purpose is, that's key. Now I'm reading two, three, four times faster. That's, that's something a normal person can learn to do in a very short amount of time at an 84-year-old read, read books in three hours. So it's a normal ability. It's not, it's not extraordinary. And now you know what you're looking for. You're going to be two four times faster. How do you deal with something when you don't understand it? You read the calculus book. You can't perform. A, you can't solve a problem. You know the equations. You memorized them. How do you use them? You have no idea. That's, that's not the same thing. That's comprehension and understanding. How do you handle that? Now you understand, how do you remember it? So when you actually need to use the information, you didn't forget it. And one of the other keystones, and this is a big one, emotional intelligence. If you're in the wrong state of mind, even though you have the right information, it may not work. If I teach you to drive and you're ready to pass a road test and you fail, why'd you fail? I got nervous. It was a test. Many people panic taking exams or speaking in public. Many businesses are run by people who are shy. They don't feel comfortable 
in, in public or speaking to people. Those things will keep you from being successful. That's an emotional intelligence issue. So when you consider all those things, emotional intelligence, memory, understanding, reading faster, knowing what's important, what to prioritize, and how to use it and apply it when you need it. Now you've got a learning solution and not just something about reading books, which is most businesses could care less if their people read faster. What they're interested in is knowledge management, data, knowing what to do with it, how to use it to stay ahead of the competition, how to innovate faster, bring products to market quicker. Those are real key core profit centers in a business. Reading by itself, that's not what people are interested in. So I'm more focused on the business focus of knowledge management and using information to build the company, grow the company, and stay competitive, which bead reading is one of the blades in this wish army knife. It isn't the entire knife. If it was, it wouldn't work. You know, I introduced you as the world's fastest reader. And if we stop there, we've obviously missed the whole point. You've stressed, yes, reading is vitally important. If you can read faster, that's even better. But you're stressing the importance that what you read, you've got to be able to understand. What you understand, you've got to be able to retain. And what you retain, you've got to be able to act on. So if I'm hearing that correctly, Howard, this is maybe an unfair question, but we've been talking about building kind of a case for why we should even consider getting better at this. If someone reaches out to you and your organization and you or your folks begin helping them with that, kind of walk us through so that the listeners better understand how does how do you help them get better at reading faster understanding what they're reading comprehending it so they can recall it and use it how does that kind of work for you well first i show them the mechanics of going quicker which is what everyone does but that's very ineffective in the big picture so what happened with programs like evelyn woods you get faster but then you learn something you didn't know. So you slow down and learn it, you lost your speed. Hmm. It was all or nothing because it was based on conditioning. The guy who owned Evelyn Woods was uh, Maurice Thompson Jr. He hired me to teach his son my system. Did you went past speed reading and speed learning, bringing in the 21st century. So I'm looking at the, the mind and how does the mind make sense out of meaning in the text? How does it understand it? How does it comprehend it? How does it apply it? How does it use it in new and unique ways, creative ways? We could discuss some of those techniques in more detail if you want. So now we've got faster reading. We know what we're looking for. We know how the mind makes sense out of what it's looking for. And then we're looking at another issue, which is memory and retention. I'll give you an example. Uh, have you ever been in a place where they gave you good information? When you got home, you didn't remember it. And what happened? People assume if they provide people with good information, facts, that are solid, that that's the solution. No, that's only one part. You also have to show them how to remember those facts when they need to use them. A lot of the problems you're having in a company is people don't remember what you told them and they're not using it the way you told them to use it. And part of that is also on emotions. If people are in the wrong frame of mind to do what you told them, they're gonna fail. If I don't, if I teach you to drive and you fail the road test because you got nervous, that's a good example. What if I didn't just teach you how to drive, but how to stay relaxed and calm taking the road test? 
How many more successful graduates would they have? How many more referrals would they get? The key area is businesses are missing. Using language that's meaningful and significant to their client base, not just to them. So if I use a word like SEO, you might know it, I might know it. Does yes. everyone in this country know what that means? No. no. And often the people who need it the most don't even know what it is, which is why they need it. So when you start throwing words around that have meaning and significance to you, but not to your clients and prospects, you're not creating rapport. You're confusing and alienating them. So you have to use vocabulary and information that's meaningful and significant in their world, not yours. You have to not just tell them what they need to know, but how to know it when they need to know it. And you have to be prepared to show them how to create a right state to use it successfully and not presume everybody being told the right thing is going to do the right thing, that they're not going to get nervous or frustrated or uh, confused or lack focus and concentration, which is needed to do what you just told them the correct way. All of those are skills that can be taught and learned and aren't in most businesses. They just presume those things will flow. And that's where many of the business problems are right now in most companies. So Howard, of the three that you just mentioned, which do you find people struggle with the most? I'm going to say probably retention. You know, your doctor gives you a, a list of things and when you go home, you don't remember what they were. You remember some of them, but not all of them. That's a good example. And Why don't then, we go with that for a moment? So retention. I know that we can only scratch the surface here, but what might be some things that you would be sharing with folks that you work with that helps improve retention? When we do it, instead of talk about, I can actually do one. Would that be better? Much better. Be much more than just saying what I do, show how I do. I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. I won't show you how. Then I'll show you how and instantly, not only you remember it, but effortlessly. And by the way, this is so simple. You can literally teach this to a three-year-old, literally, and they will learn it. Now, this is not an exercise. This is a tool. So I'm going to give you two caveats. You only remember 10% of what you read and 90% of what you say and do. So when I'm going to ask you to say and do, do that, because you're going to want to remember this. This is a tool. And first, I'll give you the 10 things. Then I'll tell you how to learn them. You want to remember pole, shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, dice, skate, cat, and bowling pins. And most people will not remember all 10. They might remember two, three. A good expert might do four, but all 10, backwards, forwards, any sequence, probably not. Now let's learn the secret. This is thousands of years old. I mentioned a lot of this is new, but this is old. The Greeks discovered if you take a list you know that's hanging in your memory, what do you do with a hangry? Hang things on it. I'm going to bet, Mike, you and our audience can count to 10. I feel confident that I'm right. And we're going to use 10 numbers that are hanging in memory to learn 10 things really fast. The first thing is the number one. It looks like the pole, like a flagpole or a lamp pole. When I say one, you say pole. One. Pole. And make sure if you're watching, you do this because you won't remember it by looking. You'll learn by doing. Two is shoes. You wear two shoes. What's two? Shoes. What's one? Pole. Perfect. Three is a tricycle. Three wheels. What's three? Tricycle. Two. Shoes. One. Pole. Easier. Four is a car. There's four tires on a car. What's four? Car. 
Two. Two. Shoes. One. Pole. Three. Tricycle. Seeing pictures. Probably picturing it while I'm doing it. That's normal. Five is a glove. How many fingers are in a glove? Five. That's five. Glove. Three. Tricycle. That's one. Pole. Getting easier. Brain's learning. Six gun. They loved them in Texas when I lived there. Cowboys like six guns. What's six? Six gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoes. Perfect. Seven's lucky in dice. Seven's dice. Seven's dice. What's seven? Dice. Five. Give me a clue. Glove. Right. Glove. Three. Tricycle. One. Pole. Rhymes work. Say eight skate. Eight skate. What's eight? Skate. Good. Six. What did they love in Texas? Six gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoes. Perfect. Almost done. Nine is the number of lives a cat has. Nine is a cat. What's nine? Cat. Seven was lucky in what game? Dice. Five. Glove. Three. Tricycle. One. Pole. This one's ten. How many pins in a bowling game? Ten. ten. Bowling pins. What's ten? Pins. Or What's one? Pole. Two. Shoes. Three. Tricycle. Four. Car. Five. And? Glove. Five. <laughs> Sorry, right. I look right. <laughs> That's how Oops. you learn. That's yep. how you learn. It's okay. That's how the brain remembers. Six. What did they love in Texas? Six shooters. Seven is lucky in? Dice. Eight rhymes with? Skate. Nine is a? Cat. What was ten? Pins. Okay, here's how you use this. This is the speed learn numbers, which are very important in business. Imagine you're in a hotel and your room is 314. How many times when you left the building, you forgot what room you were in? So you turn numbers to pictures. Three is a tricycle, one is a pole, four is a car. Make a movie. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. Picture it. Tricycle hits a pole on a car. Tricycle, what number? Three. It's a pole. One. On a car. Four. At your hotel, tricycle, pole, car. It's also pi and geometry, 3.14. So I use it for kids, for school, for math, science, history, business, due dates, percentages, taxes, phone numbers, and the zero, because the alphabet in numbers is zero to nine. That's mm -hmm. it. Zero is the 10 bowling pins, and everything else is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So now you have pictures for every number. You string the pictures together in a movie in a funny or meaningful way, play your movie, and convert the pictures, and there's your number. Now, That's I would have heard that referred to as, as a mnemonic device. Is that the right term? That's not a mnemonic. That's called pegging. Mnemonics work, too. Like, I'll give you an example. When we were studying the colors of the rainbow, we did Roy G. Biv. Roy, red, orange, yellow, G, green, blue, indigo, violet. I used it in biology. I majored in psychobiology. I did a four-year psych program in one year while majoring in biology. So I had to learn the nine attributes of a living system. Well, the brain is not comfortable learning more than seven at a time. Hmm. Anything bigger than seven is really pushing the limits of memory. So here's a mnemonic, and it means it's the first letter of each of the nine things. Sim, Igor, Sack. 
Now, I didn't even have a lot of vowels to work with. So SIM, S-M-M, Specific Organization, Metabolism, Movement, IGR, I-G-R, Irritability, Growth, Reproduction, SAC, Specialization, Adaptation, Control. I learned those nine things in 1967, and I learned them in three minutes. It's 2021. I still know them because I made it easy for my brain to learn and remember. This is just a good example of how the brain likes to store and retrieve data. There's many ways. There isn't one way to learn. It depends on your aptitude. It depends on your background and history and prior experience. If you're a biologist reading advanced biology, it's easier than an art major reading an advanced biology book. And it's easier for the art major to read a, a, a book on technical art training than a biologist because their background and experiences, their talents differ. So what you do in a subject that you know well, have an extensive background in, is not what you do in a subject you know nothing about. Don't know any words, don't know any names, don't know any formula, everything's from scratch. It's basically a foreign language. Like Agilius Phoenicius, that's a biological term. Do I know it? Yeah, you probably would. It's a red-winged blackbird. But for biologists, it makes sense. Every industry has that kind of nomenclature, words that have deepened significant meaning to the industry, but not to the world at large. And so the more we understand that language, the faster we can read, the less we need to memorize because we know it. We're looking for what we don't know. That's new and innovative and useful. So reading isn't one thing. Reading in material where we have extensive knowledge is different than reading in material we know nothing at all. And I show people how to adjust the reading strategy, the memory strategy, the, the learning strategy, depending on how much time do you have and how much depth do you need? Are you a surgeon? Learning a new surgical method, it might take 15, 16 hours to perform. That's a whole different thing than someone reading the funny papers. They're both reading, but they're not going to do the same thing the same way, or they won't get the right outcome. If the person reading the funny paper reads like the surgeon, there's no fun. If the surgeon reads like the person reading the funny papers, they're going to kill someone. So everyone needs to have a flexible approach and also based on your learning style. How does your brain want to learn? How does your brain feel comfortable learning? So by creating a program that adjusts to the learner and their learning style and their learning needs and what they're currently learning, you can get much better results. So what I teach companies is how to increase productivity by learning the information that decisions based on. So they're ahead of what the competition is doing. They're doing what, what Netflix did to Blockbuster, to their competition. And when someone comes along like Redbox, they're rebranding. They're moving in a new direction before they go out of business. And, and that's what business is today. It changes on a dime. And nobody knows what tomorrow will bring except change. And people who are able to change quickly, adapt, stay ahead of the curve, are going to be fine. Everyone else is going to find themselves wondering what happened to their businesses. Matter of fact, that may be a great transition point, and that is if they find themselves 
doing that, they may find themselves stuck. Can you reflect on, you've had such a fascinating life thus far. You've met so many different people in so many different settings. You've helped organizations of all types. Can you think of an example where perhaps you or a client got stuck? And what did you do to get them or help them get unstuck? Actually, I can. I'll go back to when I was a kid and I grew up in the projects. It was very violent. I said it was West Side Story without the music and dancing. Mm. I had knives to my throat, literally. Mm. I I had I was beaten with bats one day. Mm. I was chased with four people with baseball bats to rob me. I was mugged so many times. It was a normal day. I mean, I was mugged over a hundred times. My goodness. Uh, my dad was pistol whipped. I mean, it was a well, let's put it, we moved when they raped an eighty-eight-year-old man. Oh so my! When I tell you it was bad, that's bad. And yeah. it's beyond most people's. You Google East New York and, you, and you'll find it. It was like the Wild West. Hmm. There were people in my neighborhood. Their hobby was killing people. That was hmm. their hobby. They, they did drive-by shootings. They were on the cutting edge. They did drive-bys before anyone else. <laughs> we, we, we innovated it. I shouldn't laugh, but that, that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> so it was bad. So I'll be honest with you. I, I fell into very deep depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you think someone's out to get you and then and they're not, that's called paranoia. What if how, if they are? <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not imagining it. <laughs> you go out and they're there and they're out to get you. They beat the hell out of you. That's not in your mind. You're, you're physically being assaulted. Yes. Uh, now what? And it's not one person. It's thousands of people in gangs. You hurt one of them, you're dead. I and mean, literally, you die. You, you don't survive. That's the end of your life. That's pretty hard to grow up with. So you have to kind of just accept that you're going to get pummeled and beaten and do nothing about it or die. Those, hmm. those are your two options, accept it or die. So it creates a lot of emotional strain. So I had a lot of issues as a child growing up with that. It's like being in a war zone. You know, where you literally, the life is being threatened and you're not imagining it. It It's physically being threatened. Well, I discovered how to break that state. And I thought I'd share that. One of the things I studied was the brain and how it works. When you have a negative state, like depression or fear or anxiety, a lot of people say, I'm not going to be afraid. Or I'm not going to be depressed. Or I'm not going to be nervous. That is the worst thing you can do. Mm. The unconscious brain doesn't process not. I'm going to show you. I'm going to control your mind right now. I'm telling you I'm going to do it. Everyone hearing knows I'm going to do it. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. Don't yeah. think of Mickey Mouse eating pizza. And what happened? He's got a big pepperoni pizza. <laughs> that's what negatives do to the brain. When you say no or don't, that's exactly what it will do. The negative word disappears and the brain hears, think of Mickey Mouse eating a pizza. Think of being depressed. Think of being nervous. Think of being anxious. The more you fight it, the more you try to turn it off, the more powerful and controlling it will become. And that's anything, any fear, any negativity, any any phobia. How do you get rid of them? First, realize there is no fear in the world. There is no anxiety in the world. It's all between our ears. Mm. We're creating it. It isn't here. It's in our head. Our brain manufactures it and our brain sustains it by thinking about it. The way you eliminate a negative thought, negative state, negative uh, fear is think of the opposite. I'm calm. 
I'm serene, I'm blissful. No matter how nervous or anxious you are at the time, you focus on I'm calm, I'm serene, I'm blissful. Instead of depression, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm optimistic. Wherever your mind focuses, that's where the life becomes. If you're focusing on joy and bliss and relaxation, it builds. You're feeding it. It doesn't live except when you feed it. So you could create depression and fear by thinking about it, or you can create bliss and relaxation by thinking about that. But whatever it is you're thinking about, that's where your mind will be. And as you're focusing on the state you wish to go into, instead of the state that you're already in, over time, it's not a magic trick that goes away tomorrow. Over time, the negative state, because of lack of attention and lack of focus, it doesn't have life. It atrophies. It loses any energy because all that energy is pouring into the opposite thought that you actually want. So you have two choices. You can continue creating the state that's debilitating and paralyzing you in life, holding you back, or you can feed the state that'll move you forward in a healthy, productive way. And I was fortunate to find out that this works and to create it. I had some great teachers and studied psychobiology and I spent a lot of time learning about the mind and consciousness. And this is the way out of any dark alley. And everyone has that in their life. There's something that pulls them down, an event, a circumstance, something. We all have bad days, but we have the power the power to create the opposite and create good days and positive days and positive thinking. So we can unstick ourselves by following what I just said. Focus on what you want and what you can create instead of what's destroying you. And the more you focus on what you want to be as if it's already happening right now, because literally there's only one time now. Einstein said, future and past are an illusion. Every decision you made is in the present. Every action you've ever taken is in the present. Nothing is done except in the present. Nothing exists except the present. And what you do in the present determines whether you're stuck or unstuck. You have the freedom to choose where your mind will go and what your mind will do. And the choice that you make will determine the circumstances of your entire life. Howard, you so aptly brought this conversation full circle. This has been really, really fascinating. I was looking forward to the conversation, but I'm sitting here just listening, and I know our listeners are doing the same. If folks want to learn more about you and how you help individuals and how you help organizations, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Two ways. My programs are at Berg Learning, like my name, Howard Berg, berglearning.com. Uh, there's some free lessons that'll help them read, learn, and understand faster. I mentor companies. I, I'm like an acting CLO. They have things they need to learn quickly. They give me, I'm doing a law case right now. They have a million pages that need to be read for this case. I can read it, and I can tell them which of those pages they need to be looking at to win. They, they don't have time to pay a lawyer $800 an hour to look at all those materials. I'll look through them. I'll find the pages that are relevant to that case. And I'll highlight and say, this is really where you want to be 
going with this case. The rest of this isn't going to be relevant when you go to court. This is this is what you're actually looking for. This is what's going to win. So if a company wants to innovate, they want to create new programs, new products. I wrote a book in a day. I could teach them how to write a book in a day, which creates you as, as an authority, as someone to be listened to, to differentiate you from others in your niche. So I work, I mentor companies on how to increase productivity through learning faster, understanding, and being more innovative, understanding what directions they can take, empowering them with more positive ideas and thinking, things that no one's doing. I'm the only one doing this, really. And so they can go to howardatberglearning.com is my email, or they can go to berglearning.com to try the programs. They're guaranteed, they're risk-free. We provide support. Um, I'm the president of my Rotary Club, so we actually want to make sure people come, they learn what they paid for. I'm big on that. Why should you pay for something you didn't get? So I want to make sure they actually learn what they paid for. And when my team can't fix it, I personally do it for two reasons. One, you never want to have to make a refund. Two, I want to know what went wrong. Because whatever happened, one, I want to fix it. And two, I want to make sure it never happens again. If that's my responsibility. So I listen to what people tell me. I make changes in the next iteration to reflect what I know will work better. In over 35 years, we don't get a lot of people who don't learn. Because I've already made the adjustments. I heard all the problems and I fixed them. And I know what works. And that's what I do. I try to provide people with what I think is a world-class learning ability to know, understand, implement, innovate. Innovate. Very, very important. And that's what I'm doing. You've done that so aptly by spending time um, with me and our listeners. Thank you, Howard. Thanks for having me. I also want to thank our listeners for joining us for this episode. Every Thursday, we upload the latest episode to all the major platforms. So if you haven't already, please subscribe. But if you're an entrepreneur with big dreams, but you're tired of letting your business keep you up all night, it's time to take action. Head to bench-builders.com to schedule a quick call. We'll explore ways to help you solve your people and process problems so you can again focus on growing your business. So I'd like to thank you for joining us. And I hope you've picked up on some tips from Howard that will help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time.